Welcome to the Beyond High Performance Podcast, featuring content and conversations from me, Jason Jaggard, along with our elite coaches at Novus Global, their high-performing clients, and the faculty at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching. On this podcast, you'll hear some of the world's best executive coaches and high-performing leaders, artists, and athletes discuss how they continue to go beyond high performance in their lives and businesses. Like as a teacher, you have all students at all these different levels and places. And so there is this idea of like, who do I need to become as an educator to meet that student where they're at, which is exactly what we do in coaching. Who do I need to become as a coach to meet my client where they're at to help them achieve what it is that they want to achieve? Today's episode is from our show on coaching, where elite coaches from Novus Global and faculty from the Meta Performance Institute discuss the pursuit of excellence in executive coaching. On this episode, we discuss our journeys from being teachers and classroom educators to full-time executive coaches. We share what we both loved and wrestled with in the educational space that helped us transition to the profession of coaching. Together, we each talk about how being a teacher can be a valuable asset in the coaching space and how it can lead to predictable tendencies to watch out for that might get in our way of excellence as a coach. Enjoy the show. Hello, all. Welcome to another edition of On Coaching. And today's topic is all about coaching and teaching. So with us today, we have four of us uh, coaches here on the podcast, and all of us have been teachers at some point in our lives previously before moving into coaching. So we have with us here uh, Joseph Thompson. Say hello, Joseph. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> and then we have we have uh, Randy Poon. Hi, everyone. Uh, and we have Laura Laffalar. Hello. So we'll go ahead and jump in. Uh, I'd like to hear from from you guys. Whoever wants to go first. What is your teaching background? What kind of teacher? All of us have different experiences in education. So I'd love to hear from whence you came uh, in education first. I started my education career in graduate school as a graduate instructor, um, teaching as a teaching assistant in uh, survey classes. Um, so I would I would sit in on lectures and then go and have my own uh, seminars with uh, college kids that were only like you know four years younger than me. Um, and then I would, uh, and sometimes actually they were significantly older than me and that was always fun. And then I, I got my own classes teaching writing, uh, like 1301 and, uh, some business writing courses. And from there I went and taught at, um, a classical liberal arts school, a uh, private school. Um, and I taught a broad range of subjects from Latin to pre-algebra to poetry to literature. Um, and then I found myself in really unique, uh, educational settings. Uh, like I had a family from that liberal arts school, um, and it, things weren't working. So they just hired me and I was like their governess, like, yeah. um, and, and, and I crafted, we just like made stuff up in a basement office converted to a classroom in Pasadena, California. Um, and, and we, we were like a homeschool, not homeschool. And uh, uh, that was a lot of fun. And that was multiple grades. And that led me to a company called Fusion Academy, where I got to do that just with a lot more infrastructure. And I started, I was teaching there, um, mostly English and history, um, some poetry workshops and uh, government economics as well, um, before moving into school leadership. Uh, and then now I also teach 
currently as a, an online instructor at Lone Star College, which is a community college doing humanities courses. And I just finished a little stint as a geography and ancient Rome teacher. So, so lots of so different much. teaching. Not, not much. much. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> lots of things and lots of different contexts and environments and subjects. And I find that interesting because I think that that plays into the conversation even around coaching. Uh, Laura, what, what has been your background? Um, so I have an elementary education degree with a minor in educational psychology. And at the time that I was starting teaching, there was a mandate for second language instruction. And so every class in elementary had to have second language of some kind. Yeah. French is obviously a popular choice in Canada. So that was my foot in the door. I kind of fell into that niche right away and ended up loving it. I did my schooling in French growing up in a really Francophone community in Ontario, Canada. And so I was a specialist teacher for grade four, five, and six, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade for our American listeners. And then I also, I also taught all kinds of other things from K to six, but really my specialization for the 10 years that I was teaching was language. Oh, that's really fun too. Can you speak some French? Can I speak French right now? Yes. Oui, je peux parler français avec toi si tu veux. Bonjour tout le monde. <laughs> it's just so cool. Okay. Randy, tu, Randy, tu parles français? Oh, bien sûr, je travaille à Ottawa, alors je parle pas français. Oh, je ne savais oh. pas. On, on doit parler une autre fois. <laughs> um, so that that's fun. I don't think that's happened on, on an on-coaching podcast yet. No, our first um, second language. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Randy, and what has been your background? Well, I, w I joined late into teaching. I, I didn't, I was, I worked in a lot of different spheres. I was a consultant. I was, worked for the government, but I picked up a PhD of all things in my mid forties. Let's do a PhD. And I did a PhD in organizational leadership. There was an opportunity um, after I was working on my PhD to move back to my hometown of Calgary. I was working in Ottawa in Canada at this point in time and an opportunity to teach at a, at a university in the business program. And so we moved back to Calgary and I began a brand new career utilizing this PhD that I, uh, that I had or was working on and I began, he just happened to have a PhD <laughs> and began teaching in business. And um, I became head of the business program after about a year. And I taught in a lot of areas in human resources. I taught intro to business. I taught um, a marketing courses. I taught um, analytics courses, uh, corporate social responsibility, a lot of different areas. So that's so I, I basically just completed my 10 years of teaching or being a professor and I'm, I'm pretty much done, I think now, but uh, it was a great it was a great phase of season of my life. And Amanda, you have experienced teaching as well. You want to talk about that? Uh, I do. So I come from a family of educators. Um, my grandparents were teachers. Both my parents were teachers. Uh, so going into education made a whole lot of sense. Like that was just dinner table conversation at our house um, every day. So I, I did. And my uh, teaching stint was at a juvenile detention center. I taught girls in jail for, for about three years, which was a fantastic first job out of college. And one when I turned in my resignation letter, just uh, cried a lot because I think 
I learned way more from my students than probably I taught them. So it was a, a pretty meaningful thing. Um, but yeah, so that's where I taught in a juvenile detention center, which is a little unique. So um, what I love even hearing uh, about all of our different journeys and educational spaces, like we have everything from elementary school all the way up to university and even socioeconomic status of, you know, super wealthy kids and um, kids who maybe don't have uh, as much resource that way. So here's the question. What prompted you to go into coaching uh, from education? Uh, Well, I actually... um... I actually met you um, in a season of my life when I had decided to step back from teaching. So I hadn't yet decided whether that was forever or for a season, but I, I was on an indefinite stepping away from my position. And at the beginning of my teaching, I had a job, you know, lots of details I won't go into, but I had a job that set me up to actually support the homeroom teachers in doing a lot of noticing what was going on with the students when they were in the French classroom. How could I consult in a way and, and share my notices and my feedback and work with them and implement things that they were working on in a different context in my French classroom. And that was a side of things that I really enjoyed. And so when the opportunity to pursue coaching was presented to me, um, it really clicked for me because it brought a lot of the things that I had enjoyed about teaching, but had kind of gone from my position with some cutbacks and yada, yada that was going on. And, and I, I saw, you know, I think I can build on some of the best things that I loved about teaching as a coach. And it's, I mean, it's tricky and it's a long game to have impact with students. And so Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, the opportunity to specifically step into work with adults who are hiring me because that is the purpose. They want to create impact. They want results. They want change. That was really attractive to me and seemed like the next kind of level up from my teaching background. I love that. Uh, Who else? What was the transition? One of the things for me actually was meeting Laura's husband, Dan. Dan had been one of the references for one of the profs that we hired. And so I don't even remember talking to Dan, but I must have talked to him. But he set up an appointment with me, and we had this amazing conversation at a local cafe. And we had an hour conversation, and it was it was amazing. He was simply asking questions. He was exploring. He was inquisitive. And it made me think about a lot of areas of my life. And I think that really was the huge transition saying, hey, you know, what about being a coach in, as, a, as a transition? I've been teaching roughly about to 10 years. And so it was a natural transition to go into a new area. I love pivoting. And so being able to pivot in this area and come alongside people, again, exactly what Laura was saying, this notion of impact uh, was one of the big reasons. That's cool. My shift came a little bit earlier from teaching because I went from teaching into leadership. Um, mm-hmm. into to organizational leadership. And so, uh, and, and the story there is that like, there was, there was a moment where I, I was, I was thriving in this new teaching environment. And then I, I thought to myself, I was like, Hey, I think, I think I used to be a leader. I think people used to say I was a leader and I've, I had just kind of forgotten that mm-hmm. and to, to, to like skip ahead into meta performance, the idea of meta performance is what are we, you know, what am I, I wonder what I'm capable of. I really just had that moment where I was like, 
I wonder if I could do that again. I wonder if I could access that thing Mm -hmm. again. And then I like within two months, I got in a promotion and I was an assistant director. And then within two years, I became a head of school. And and it was in that transition that I met Jason, our CEO, um, and he coached me for a year. And so so there was like already some framework in how I thought, how I taught, how I led that when I received the coaching framework, it just like, it it was, it was beautiful chemistry. And so I started applying the coaching work in my leadership because I had already had a drift. I just had structures now. And what Laura and Randy said about like the difference between education as a long game, like so, so broadly, so many seeds plant all the time because you don't know what's going to spring up is different in, in young learners and school age learners. And, and it's beautiful to watch, but like oftentimes you, you don't know what your impact is. You don't know what your effect is and you just have to trust the process in adult learners or, or your clients, right? Like you get to see things in just like rapid time. So, mm-hmm. so that, that became this really fun, just way mm-hmm. to wonder like, Hmm, what would it look like? And so I did the whole pivot. I did Randy's pivot. I did the meta performance. I wonder what I'm capable of and shifted to coaching. I'd love to hear more about that I- idea of impact. Like tell me more about how in ed- the, the long game of education and the immediate results that we get to see with coaching. Well, I was thinking as Joseph was talking, I think as a teacher, you need to find a way to enjoy being in the space of sowing seeds. I love that picture, Joseph, because that's so accurate. Personally, I wasn't, I didn't make friends with that space as well as the people who are long game teachers. And I think those are the people who are just, they're on another level. I love seeing teachers who are long game teachers and love their craft and sow those seeds for an entire career. Um, I think for, um, coaching, it's like the entire point of us having these conversations on our calls is to make sure that the impact is happening or, you know, that you're on track for that impact. And so I would say it's almost, I don't know, tell me what you guys think of this word to me. It's it's almost addictive to Mm. go, how fast can we make these results happen? How quickly can you see evidence of this impact and watch people get out of the way of these um, results happening, be so thrilled that it creates an energy in them that they then step further into creating more results. And, you know, I think there's almost, I don't know. Yeah. I want to play with the idea of of just different degrees of patience, right? Like what came up for me when you were talking about is like the delayed gratification versus instant gratification. Like coaching is a great place for, uh, for both, mm-hmm. but like the instant gratification is, is much more present, like, and, mm-hmm. and, and not the least, I don't, I don't, uh, one, one other aspect of it is there's a one-on-one impact, right? Like if you're yes. in front of a classroom, yeah. again, you're sowing broadly and, a lot of different things to a lot of different soils teaching and coaching play in different degrees of patience um or they 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 invite different levels of patience at different times and different seasons i think that that's uh, something i was picking up from what you were saying too Mm. i think one of the things for me in terms of my teaching especially as at a university level i'm dealing with students who are 
you know, getting close to say in the early 20s. In some cases, you had more mature students who were in their mid-20s and had a lot of experience. And I love the coming alongside of them, to being able to hear mm-hmm. their stories, to hear their journey, and to help them on that next step. I mean, for some of our students, for example, in their first or second year, they would really struggle. And some of them, I recall, you know, almost, you know, we're, we're going to fail out in, in many ways. Yeah. And to see that one, one of these, this one student that I'm thinking of, eventually not only graduate from our business school, but also then go on to get an education degree as well. I mean, it's, it's okay. to see that, that journey along the way was was really beautiful. And I, and I think in that, in that same regard, I think seeing that more specifically in the coaching sphere, where you can see that journey take place. And in some cases, yes, there is that instant gratification, but in, in many cases as well too, it's also a long journey as well in the sense that there is these stories, these narratives. We talk a lot about narratives that are in coaching and the narratives that need to shift along the way. And so yeah. in some aspects, there's it, it can be almost, it can be long too. Maybe not as long as teaching, but it certainly can be a journey. One thing there that um, I think is, is key for like the difference between adult learners and, uh, and young children or teenagers um, is, is the sense of self. Like, uh, mm. like an adult learner has a, a more or less fixed idea of who they are and so like when they step out of that to take risks and do something the change is like noticeable it's often like kind of amplified and so like it's amplified to them it's amplified to us as the coaches Um, it feels more dramatic and and oftentimes it is like it like i'm not saying it just feels that way like that's the that's the real drama of the change but like when when you're talking about kids and you're like, well, try to try to talk to that person or practice a little bit more. They're like, okay. And they just do it. Yeah. And it's not this like momentous change. It's just a thing that they did that maybe one day will like yeah. factor into who they are or not. Like, and that, and that, that piece is like, I delight in it, but it doesn't give me the same dopamine hit of like, <laughs> I, of impact. Huh? Yeah. I, I wonder, cause as I'm listening to you, t- cause I, so I have, uh, like children in my house. So I have, oh, I guess um, I homeschooled for a while. So I guess that was, that also oh, counts yeah, maybe yeah. as education, yeah. like, right? Yeah, me too. Uh, so, yep. um, I, I, yeah, like, um, so detention center and the kids in my house, I'm not quite sure if that's totally <laughs> two, two different things, but that's what we did. Um, and so having kids in my, like 16 and 13 year olds and like I'm noticing even like the, so like the shift for me from education to coaching didn't feel quite that different because I think I showed up naturally as a coach before I even knew what coaching was to my students. And it's probably why I chose secondary education as opposed to elementary ed, like, and I don't like doing bulletin boards. Um, so secondary education worked for me because they were hungry And maybe Joseph, to your point, like they were like starting to harden a little bit to like their identity and this is who I am. And so there was a lot because I look at my my kids now and even hiring a coach for my 16 year old and it it is the mindset conversations and it is similar like he's getting more similar to an adult than to a kid. Like as I as I'm reflecting on what, what we're talking about. I think one of the things I liked about being in the detention center was it probably was less like a educational setting. So I got to come in as a teacher, but obviously life was not going well for them. And so 
the mindset conversation was something really important for me to have in the classroom where I felt like if I would have been an English teacher, which is what I had a degree for, it was teaching to the topic. So as much as I like, and I I think I chose English literature for that reason, because like to teach To Kill a Mockingbird or Lord of the Flies it would bring up those conversations around mindset and how you were applying things to your life and answering those types of like sitting in those questions. But I didn't like the pressure of teaching to a test and the standards and all of that stuff. I like, I didn't want to play by the rules. I wanted to actually like coach and work with the minds who were in front of me. So like I look at my parents and they were very much career educators. My dad taught math and he was really, really good at teaching math. And he taught 16 and 17 year olds for like 40 years. (laughs) And that is what he did. And he loved that. I'm hearing from a lot of us that we like, like the different parts of things like, so yeah, tell me more. And I have a theory that what you just described of like it can be different. I can I can access in different ways that urge, that impulse in teachers that either like grows up and matures within the structures that are there. Mm. And and I think that's something that I lacked. Like the the ability to submit to those things uh, was a thing that I lacked. So I found myself in alternative education. I found myself in like freewheeling yes programs where I could be autonomous and like creative. And that's great for me, but it, uh, I don't think it's spelled longevity because at a certain point I'm going to have to standardize at a, like at a certain point for, for a lot of different, really good reasons. And the, the long-term teachers, the ones that Laura was talking about, like she just admires so much, they're excellent at finding the out of the box thinking inside the box. Well, well put. And, and that's why it's like, why I think I love watching them. Cause I'm like, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. so, so it's like, I found my way to coaching. Cause I was like, nobody set rules for me. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I want to find as creative a, a solution as possible. I want to like throw off all the assumptions. I want to say, Hey, maybe it doesn't yeah. have to be that way. Maybe. Right. And like, and, and, and kind of this freewheeling, you know, let's discover, let's suspend all the rules as the most resourceful space, which mm-hmm. if you created classrooms like that, you would not have very well-functioning classrooms. Well, and it's funny that you say that because I think back to the beginning of my journey as a coach and there was an untraining um, of myself yes. from that teaching framework or even previous to that, probably the student framework of like, okay, what is the rubric? <laughs> what are the rules? Tell me how to get an A. Amanda's probably chuckling because she coached me yeah. back in that season and she would be like, Laura, there is no A. What do you want? How are you going to make it happen? <laughs> and I, I had no answers. And so it really stretched me it's in the true. best way. And I think so true. <laughs> uh, we have many stories, but I think, you know, that's what I enjoy coaching adults. I also coach teenagers cause I work with, um, mm-hmm. athletes cause, um, Novus global sport has a range of athletes from up and coming right through professional. Um, but like coaching either young adults or, or adults, where else do adults step into learning the way that seven-year-olds step into learning. Oh, true. Coaching becomes this gift where people go, oh, 
I haven't been learning this rapidly or been this curious about trying things or doing new things in my life since I was a child. You know, what a gift. What's really interesting is the whole aspect of, I think, where education is going. I think, you know, in terms of especially at the university level, there's a lot of questions as to whether or not this very ruled, structured curriculum, core content-based approach is, is, is actually going to be helpful for, for many of these students going into the workforce. And I think you're seeing an increasing call by employers, future employers essentially saying, hey, we need to change the way the university and education system is going because mm. people aren't prepared for the workforce. And I think in many ways, that's where some of the coaching comes into play. I think even yes. asking the question about mindset, asking the question about narratives is a way perhaps where coaching needs to get more back into teaching or teachers need to be better coaches or administrators need to be better coaches because the education system, the way we've done it, we talk, we talk about in our, in our coaching practice about rackets or strategies that don't always work. And I'm wondering to some degree whether or not we need to take a look and examine the rackets of teaching in other words, this whole aspect of, hey, maybe the way we're doing it hasn't been really working. Maybe we need to change it a lot more. And I think that's where coaching can actually probably give a lot to the whole field of teaching. That's so true. Because I even my clients, we learn, we spend so much time in school as kids. And there's so many things that get really ingrained. So, Laura, to your point, like getting an A. I liked getting A's. I was good at getting A's. I liked getting A's. I liked the educational space. I liked being in the classroom. I liked learning. That was safe. I could have probably been a career student and stayed in school for forever. Like I was petrified to do my student teaching because that was like real life. Yeah. But our clients and adults come and they have all of these uh, about education and like getting the A's. I need the instructions. I need things laid out. I need uh, the the syllabus at the start of the semester so I know exactly what's coming. But life isn't that way. Business isn't that way. Success doesn't work that way. And so I find as a coach, I'm helping people unlearn some of the things that they know. This is what I would say when I was homeschooling is that I was unlearning the things I knew about education and actually practicing what I knew about learning. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's like, yeah, discussion. yeah, education is one thing, but actually how I learn and how I wanted to invite my kids to learn and how adults learn was something totally, totally different. And that is, I think what the coaching space is. It's, it's this project based learning where people are testing out things and we like play, right? Like you test out assumptions, you take risks, something will happen. You, you know, you, you test it out and that's how you learn and that's how you grow. But that isn't how we, Randy, to your point, how we design our educational system at all. Yeah. And I, I want to highlight some of the overlap that I've noticed. Um, and also highlight, I think that like, and, and I, I think that we all would agree um, I think we've talked about this implicitly up until now. Uh, um, like teaching is a different skill set than coaching. Yeah. Like, in what way? Uh, what would you say, Joseph? Yeah, yeah. So, well, what, but I want to start with like where they, where the overlap is, as far as I've seen is, um, and this this goes toward uh, maybe theoretical or at least what I've picked up from the best of teachers and the best of coaches is that the disposition of the coach and the disposition of the teacher, that's the same. Like the disposition toward the learner, toward the the client, the unconditional positive regard, the like absolute belief in them, yeah. in the best of teachers, they're the ones that like don't let you off the hook. Mm-hmm. 
like what you were saying, like, give it to me, give me the answer. They're like, no, 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 no. you're going to find this out. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fix your errors. That's a disposition that's the same. But the skill set, I think, is very different. Like the ability to impart knowledge is is different from the ability to ask open-ended questions. Yes. And so it doesn't that doesn't mean that like the the teacher can't use open-ended questions strategically. Of course not. And they're going to. I know that. And and vice versa, like uh, you know, like we train. We train people. We say here yes. we're going to teach you a tool. Practice the tool. Great. You know how to use the tool now. But the that that's when we also recognize, oh, I'm teaching. We say that. Like, we're like, hey, are you teaching? You're like, yeah, because what you're doing is you're explaining a concept and checking for understanding. That's a, that's a teaching skill, not a coaching skill. And so, yeah, I do think that they'll like they'll overlap. But uh, I, I think it's important to just recognize there are different skill sets appropriate to the different ends. And then and that 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 might be a really fun place to do is like, hey, what like what do we think are the different ends of of the different uh, activities? Like, what's the end of teaching and the end of coaching? Well, it's going beyond understanding, right? I mean, you talk about checking for understanding. Mm-hmm but you're wanting to go more than just understanding a concept or a notion. You want them to live it out. And so it's one thing, let's say you're dealing mm. with a conflict situation in a workplace and you're managing a team and how do you deal with performance? How do you deal with your team? And so it's more than just understanding. It's going to the point, okay, how do I live this out? Yeah, and even learning as you go, like start implementing it for the purpose of creating results. Um, and I think, you know, what you're saying, Joseph, my muscle of teaching, um, especially when I came into coaching was very strong, you know, so that would definitely be the default. It's like, great, let me teach you this. Um, but this work that we do ontological inquiry based coaching is not designed for that. It's designed to, um, it's designed to to approach the person as though they have the answer or they have the ability to access the resource to learn what they need to learn. So it's, I think, approaching learning or capacity for learning from a different platform where it's, I still believe that they can learn this, but it's not always my job to teach it. Sometimes I might teach some framework, but then it's their job to do that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Or even to say, this is what you, you need to learn. Like I think about if like I'm in a history class, like a European history class, it's like, okay, here is the European history. The teacher has the knowledge and it is their job to impart to me what they know. And then it is my job to absorb it and then show that I absorbed it and have retained it on some sort of, of test. But that isn't how coaching, right. like when I, like I think about my clients, they're smarter than me. They are super successful. Mm-hmm. Like they, they are the experts. They are the ones who have the knowledge, not me. I'm just asking really, um, hopefully powerful, sometimes stupid questions that get them to think outside of themselves. But it is coming with this belief of the knowledge is in you, whereas in the classroom, as a teacher, I'm coming in as some sort of expert with the knowledge to impart to them. I like when you just threw in the the stupid there and like just to expand <laughs> on that, you know, we will say um, sometimes it pays 
for our client, for us to be the dumbest person in the room or put that hat on even, which, you know, if we're comparing teaching, that is very much not your role as a teacher. It's helpful to not make assumptions or be the expert in their field so that you're asking questions that maybe if they were chatting with a coworker who's in that same space, they would have the same assumptions so the coworker wouldn't ask about. But when I'm the dumbest totally. one in the room, you know, and I, I'm, I'm using air quotes um, intentionally because I don't actually believe I'm dumb, but when I, mm-hmm. you know, I... I pretend I don't know, or I actually let myself not know things about their industry. Me asking the questions may open up new strategies or new possibility or new realizations for them. And I think that that's where then um, when coaching we get into, and we, I know that it's been discussed on some of the other podcasts, but the difference between coaching and consulting, because I think if like we're, we come with this framework of, I hire a coach because they're the knowledge, like the expert they have the knowledge to impart to me, um, then that sets up a relationship where the coach can be more of a consultant or the coach feels like they need to have the knowledge of that particular subject. In fact, even as I say that, sometimes uh, talking with teachers who maybe are wanting to go into coaching or they're actually curious about the profession, they're like, well, I don't have, I, I don't have the knowledge. I need a lot more of knowledge about business or, you know, X, X, yeah, X, Y, Z. And because we think that it's our job to, to tell that person either what to do. Like we have the knowledge and that it's like, ah, but that isn't what coaching is. You actually don't have to be an expert in that field. That brings up one of the examples we use in our trainings around um, the, our first principle of maximum value comes from full participation is this idea mm. of teachers, right? And and there's this uh, yes. that there's an expectation that where does value come from? And this is this is stereotypical. This so like I don't think this would be true of the people that we all imagine are are the best teachers or the role models of teachers. But nevertheless, the stereotype there is that that students approach uh, the teacher as the source of value. Yes. That's where they, the value of their education comes from. And I think we see it a lot too in the like, you know, hey, Jenny didn't do well in school. Whose fault is it? Like, it's the teacher's fault, <laughs> right? And, um, th- and then it's the and parents' again, fault. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the parents. Like, and <laughs> and we, we, we're, we're using that illustration as a way to, to demonstrate a point, yes, that, but, but that point is in participation. And it's like, question kind of pops up is like, well, like, how can coaching serve in the classroom more? How can a, that inquiry disposition, how can a adopting a coaching space in the classroom lead to those things that we say are valuable or that we we continue to move people toward because we, we have a, a theory that they're valuable, like ownership, like full participation, like making requests when you recognize you have a want. You know, my mind goes to like Montessori as a a, a really rich educational environment. Uh, it's not a theory. It's, uh, there's a theory behind it, but like what a Montessori classroom is, is it's an environment. It's a space and it's designed for, you know, a certain kind of participation. And so then, yeah, the question comes up is like, how are our current and and this is we're not we're not having a podcast about the state of education in in the Western world or anything, but like. Yeah, what spaces are we creating 
you know, that are uh, for, for what kind of participation. Like inquiry-based spaces. That's right. Yeah. Are they? And like based on results, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. That was certainly the um, hot uh, buzzword in, and focus in education when I was going through my education degree in the early 2000s was inquiry-based learning, but there is a slower movement towards that in the standard educational system. And like you said, we're not here to talk about that, but I think um, that was planted for me as, you know, Montessori. Yeah. And inquiry-based projects, let the kids get in there and explore, get their hands dirty, all that, like you had referenced full participation, the depth of learning that comes from that, the participation. Actually, in the language sphere, I remember in one of my courses learning that when children learn a second language as a small child, when you do an MRI of them using their language as an adult, almost their whole brain uh, will light up as they use their second language. Whereas if an adult learns a second language and then they use it. It's, it's just the language center that lights up. Mm. So, you know, I think that's, there's like this focus on giving the opportunity to fully participate and, and let that learning seep in um, as soon as possible. Mm. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Which I think, um, cause I, I want to pivot a little bit into talking about when we move from education into coaching, mm-hmm. what the, like the strengths are in that and what some of the, maybe the, the pitfalls to, to watch out for. Cause what I'm hearing, like a strength is to work with kids, to create the space of curiosity of learning. You're right. When you're working with small children, the whole brain lights up as, as they're learning something. And it is like this holistic there, there's this place of almost like bringing that into my coaching work of this like curiosity and play and asking questions. And so one of the things that I love the most about education, I do get to bring into the coaching space just with adults. It's like, Hey, let's be that seven-year-old what other like benefits do you see or like things from education that you're bringing into your coaching work that are an asset? I think one of the exciting things, I mean, is when you're working with a client or you, I, when I, I see even in the trainings is the possibility that emerges. Um, when we do exercises like break the brain, for example, and, um, and this, the whole mm-hmm. idea of, you know, what, what seemed to be impossible. Now that's in the realm of the possible. What's the truly new impossible and, and in some ways, that's very much like that child, that seven-year-old kind of thing where their eyes light up and realize, wait a yes. second here, I've been limiting myself because of the stories that I've been telling myself. I don't have to limit myself. And that's, that's, that's one of the really exciting things to be able to see, almost that sense of, even though we're all, we're all conservative, we're all sort of like, you know, stayed and, and I don't want to be a kid kind of thing. But you can see still the sense of excitement and joy almost that's there. Yes. When you realize, wait a second here, these limits are artificial. Yes. Yeah. Those I think aha there's moments. Yeah. Yeah. I think more than others, teachers are just like used to celebrating that. Like, and so like they bring with it a readiness to be like, yeah, isn't that cool? And then yes. move on. Right. Like, like, and so, uh, and we talk about that. We talk about celebration as an important practice to dream bigger, to just like, just acknowledge. Totally. And so, so like teachers are great at that. We do that a lot. We love light bulb moments. We celebrate them. We praise them as soon as we see them because we're, we're sniffing for them. Um, another, yep. another couple of things. I remember one, um, one of the teachers in my 
uh, former career, he, he loved to talk about how weird teachers are, like statistically, <laughs> like the way that just compared to normal populations and by normal, I mean like the majority of people, we do things naturally that others like avoid, like public speaking for one, like most teachers are great at standing in front of a room full of strangers and, and just presenting. like holding forth. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it's, it's funny. I, I've met, I've met, uh, uh, teachers who are like, I'm afraid of public speaking. I'm like, you have no idea. Do you not realize what you do every day? Um, so tr- no, it's, you command a room, right? You like, command a room. It's so a being able classroom to do management, that. like all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so that piece, the other one, just about like, there's a diligence in teaching the like repetition part, like not getting bored, asking the same questions. Yes. I don't know if any of you ever held office hours, but like this student comes in and they're doing with something. Next one comes in, it's the exact same thing. And you're like, oh, that's what my client roster is right now. (laughs) Like we're going to have the same complaints, the same rackets, the same, right. You're like, great. I know what to do here. So like that piece, that piece I think is a really nice carryover too. Yeah. I, I also resonate with the classroom management one. I think that was probably a piece I was more comfortable with than uh, people who are coming out of other careers. Um, leadership is something that I've been doing in various spaces, mostly with young people, since I was, you know, a preteen myself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that the commanding room, classroom management kind of side of things, and and I would say specifically with coaching, part of our job is to be disruptive to the narratives that someone has, or this is what's possible, this yeah. is what's impossible, or I have to do things this way. You know, those things that pop up as we talk about what they want and how they're going to create it. I think being able to disrupt that. I mean, as teachers, we're very used to saying, yeah. Yeah. you know well, maybe not that way, you know, and redirecting. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, so that redirection is a strong so muscle that I would, I would say. Yeah. Can, can you, Laura, uh, can you dive deeper into the leadership that you think is intrinsic to teaching that, that also carries over into a, the coach as a leader? I think there's a self-leadership, like um, getting into mm-hmm. leading early on and being in spaces where I was trained as a leader. It taught me things about leading myself well that both translate into the things I'm curious about for my clients and how are they leading themselves and serves me well as a coach in terms of discipline and mm-hmm. I might even say, and this probably translates into working in a firm because being circumspect about how things impact other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, So like there's this real uh, awareness of the whole, right? Like you're like, we're doing things for the, the class and you make decisions based on the class based. So based on higher order goals, higher order outcomes, which is, is, proper to a leader to make those decisions. Um, that's what shows up as a coach. Like you're, you're constantly calling your client to the higher order value, the higher order desire, mm-hmm. the thing that they want most. And so you're, you're like that redirection constantly. Um, that's good. Yes. 
And like, um, not to argue with that, but to maybe present a different mm. angle of that as teachers, I think we're used to having a wide range of students. So we're not expecting right. every yeah. student to be That's the top true. of the class. So we're very used to, Hey, someone is the bottom of the class. So if the client is where the client is, Hey, great, no problem. Now what's next. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and, and, so and even good. like, who do I need to become like as a teacher, yeah. depending, like you have all students at all these different levels That's and places. Right. And so there yes. is this idea of like, who do I need to become as an educator to meet that student where they're at, which is exactly what we do in coaching. Who do I need yeah. to become as a coach to meet my client mm -hmm. where they're at to help them mm -hmm. achieve what it is that they want to achieve. There are two things that came up for me as far as like assets um, with coaching is one, I find that sometimes novice coaches, they'll ask a question and they get really uncomfortable with the silence um, after you ask mm. a question. But as a teacher, like I remember in teacher school, like they would teach you like, no, the silence is okay. Like even to count to seven, mm -hmm. like ask a question and then yeah. make like slow yourself down yeah. and count to seven. And so I can ask a question and I'm cool with there being silence. I don't feel like I need to jump Bella in space. and answer it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But sure. um, yeah. So I think I, I learned that from being a teacher. I think the other thing is that, especially watching my parents, there was such a performance art to education. Um, to the command, right. you're commanding yep. a room, you, you are entertaining. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and it's not that you're entertaining as a coach, but in the training facilitating. space or you're facilitating. And so yeah. there is a paying attention to your energy. Like I knew as an educator that I was creating the energy for the room. Absolutely. Like that's the leadership for me. Yeah. yeah. Recognizing that there's, there's a way of being on, right? Like, like yeah. uh, of stepping on stage, even if it's the front, just behind the podium or stepping on screen as the zoom, you know, call. Yeah. Or in the training. Um, I think that that's extremely transferable. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I, in my particular niche in teaching, I got to practice that a lot. So in my French classroom, I had an immersion approach. The yep. rule was they had to only speak French. So mm -hmm. I taught them rudimentary words to start building sentences. And we actually had a sign language or an action that went along with each word so that they could both visually see me doing it or, or do that to speak to me or, you know, and mm -hmm. so part of my job sitting with the class, you know, in a circle in front of me was to really participate and be over the top yeah. in helping them understand something because I couldn't use the first language that was off the table. So That's I think awesome. I, I highly tuned in to what's happening, which has really served me well as a coach. Cause I could see if I lost a kid and, yeah. and now yep. I can see if yep. I've lost someone with my question. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. like I, I, I trained myself with that. Yeah. It seems really basic, but it also seems like at the heart of the matter is like the thing that transfers really well, uh, is like, uh, you, cause you don't get into teaching for the money, right? <laughs> you get into it because you care deeply. You care about yes. humans growing. You care about yep. like just, just indi individuals. Like you just love yes. it. You just delight in it. And even as I, I try to look for the reasons, I'm like, no, 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 no. It does. There's not uh, even a lot of reasons. A teacher can, can often like try to explain why, but it's like, they're kind of making it up. They just do. They just love loving people 
like that. And that's a core element of our, of at least our work at Novus, right? We talk about love as a value, yes. but like if we're not advocating for their growth because we really, really want good, good things for them, like our coaching suffers. And, and similarly, yeah. I knew my teaching suffered when I wasn't in that place. Um, and so like the deep love of, of humans um, and what yes. they're capable of, their growth, that's, that's a really core, basic, fundamental, transferable. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point, Joseph. Yeah. I think that whole notion of that loving advocacy that we have for our client yes. in many ways stemmed from that loving advocacy for our students as well. So I totally 100% echo that. Yeah, and I think the way that I will often frame that with people is that as people or as humans, um, we're designed to be expansive. Mm. You know, we're not designed to Mm. shrink throughout our lives. So what are you doing currently? And that's often where conversations start. What are you doing to expand yourself, your reach, your impact, your influence, you know, your learning. So you're right. I think as teachers, we hold the belief that each student is designed to be expansive, has the capacity to do so. Um, They're going to be learning something. So let's give them something worthwhile, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, And so as adults, many people don't have that space to continue to practice living into being expansive. That's the exciting part about coaching is that we get to continue that process on, you know, it, it, it doesn't end, you know, at the, okay. high school, it doesn't end at the degree, you mm-hmm. know, we get to we get to explore that whole notion of expansiveness. And that's, I think when, when a client discovers what coaching really is all about, that whole notion of expansiveness comes, comes to life. It goes back to that earlier okay. idea I mentioned before about people, you know, realizing, oh, these, these limits are actually artificial in the first place. So that's the joy of coaching. Yeah, good point. Well said. So uh, our teaching background, all of that, there are definitely transferable skills that become uh, really strong assets in the coaching space. There are also, uh, I have I have found, um, to be predictable things that I have learned as an educator that are not super beneficial and resourceful in the coaching space. So I'd love to spend some time talking about that. Like, ah, I'm a teacher. That was a that was a teacher thing, and it's getting in the way of me being in a good coach. What would you say? I have right next to the camera where I'm looking when I'm coaching, and it, there's a question that I taped up. It's, are you teaching? <laughs> to remind myself, <laughs> to remind, like just. Like what? Do you, what am I doing right now? And again, it's just a distinction of there are different skill sets using, and we I think we touched on some already, right? The the things to unlearn about like rubrics, like really looking for how to be right, how to do coaching, right? Even what Randy said earlier about like the check for understanding, there are ticks that I have that are designed for checks for understanding. So if I'll end sentences that with questions like, right? Do you see what I mean? Can I get mm. like looking, looking for the affirmation that like you're with me, you're staying, you're like abreast and um, they, they can be really detrimental to the coaching work because it, cause it kind of turns it back on me. Mm. It's like, Hey, like who, who's doing the Are leading? Are you understanding me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the validation. Like, did you mm-hmm. understand what I just said? Do you understand? Yes. And do you agree? Which in the yeah, coaching. Though that's the agreement part. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because agreement is not what we're after. We're not after agreement. Yeah. It's there. I'm working on it. 
<laughs> um, I'm hearing it more and more, which is great. Uh, but the agreement part is not what we're after. We're not yeah. after agreement. Mm-hmm. Like a coaching space is not a space for agreement. It, it well, even if it's a space for being with them, right? Right. <laughs> I'm <laughs> yeah. just going to keep saying it. Um, yes, and and I I have had. I mean, we learn lessons the hard way. You know, early on in coaching, I did some of that. I think, and I would have clients who would agree. And agree and agree and agree, but not do the wrestling themselves until the end of the contract or at some point Mm. where they go, wait, 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 I don't agree. And now I resent that this Mm. is what I've been up to. Right. And so learning some of those lessons the hard way that, hey, it is really important to hold space for someone to wrap their own head around something. Because in the same way that I'm trained to figure out how to get an A and all that stuff, most people yes. have come through t- traditional school systems. Some haven't, but most have. And they're trained in that way too. So helping them unlearn some of those things has been a process for me as well. I think the whole aspect of unleashing, I, I remember at the very beginning uh, during my sort of my, my kind of my, my script of sorts that I had in terms of working with clients, one of the other coaches in, in my training had said something and it was, and I, I wrote it down, unleash the genius, or, you know, in the, in, in the client. The genius. And yeah. I, I think that's, that's something, whereas I think in teaching, I, I mean, I think ultimately that's what we want. We want to unleash the genius and the capacity of the student. But sometimes, though, we forget that. And we, we're the genius, of course, because we're the ones that are educated. And we know everything. But I think that whole aspect of unleashing the genius is something that's, that is that does stand out about coaching. Here's the thing, too, though. It's not just, I think, not just the coach, but it's also the person being coached. Because in some ways, if they're passive and they're waiting for something, someone to be, teach them, tell me what to do, tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. And what coaching is all about is not that. And we're not going to be telling you what to do. It's rather of them discovering themselves, what they already know what to do and how to discover other ways of being able to explore that in the first place. That's the beauty of coaching. Yeah. Um, is really helping people. Again, it's the whole notion of unleashing their genius. I love that observation about like the feeling of inequity that can happen in a, in a teaching relationship that can carry over. And, you know, just the yeah. inequity of like, I'm older than you. I, I, I almost by default know more than you. Um, and you can kind of bet on that. And I think that it doesn't take much imagination to see how that can be abused into bad teaching and how it still exists in good teachers who are committed to unleashing the genius of the of the student. Like there's still just like a given inequity. I think what's interesting in the coaching space is that like you really have to leave that at the door. Like it's not inequity yeah. in, in any other way of like, r- except like purpose. Like I'm not here to be an equal to you. I'm here to ask very powerful questions, right. That help you get what you want and help you get out of your own way. Like that's it. It's not about proving anything. It's not about yeah. like even getting you to where I am. That's the other piece. Like that's an instinct that a teacher might have that gets in the way is like, let me get you to ed- to being educated like me. And you're like, no, 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 no. Hang on. As a coach, like it is not about like getting you to where I am. It's about getting you to where you want to be. Yes. Some of my favorite clients in terms of how they have stepped into using the space and recreated how they do things really transformed have been 60 plus. Um, Mm. And that was even a thing that we talked about at the beginning. They would say, you know, I'm not used to taking, um, you know, 
learning or questions, or whatever, from someone your age, you know, maybe half their age, that was a new thing for them, but, you know, stepping into that and it's fun to see people at that stage in life, creating new things for themselves. Yeah. Um, Amanda, what about you? You know, we've, we've given some of our things you have the most seniority as a coach in this group. I'm curious what your answer would be to this. Yeah, I really like how it feels to be right and know stuff. And so I, I, I just, I just do. It feels really, really good to be this like guru of whatever and have this knowledge and have this wisdom and impart it to someone. That's probably something that I, I really loved about teaching and like holding the space, but um, it just it just feels good. And so it's really tempting for me uh, to create a relationship and partnership with a client where I feel good because they're treating me as an expert and I get to tell them something that is super insightful and they write it down and they take notes and I feel really good about myself and they think I'm fantastic <laughs> and that the feedback form that they they give it's like I always learn I learn so, so much, much. <laughs> and like, right it's like I feel and like like there's like this I feel good about myself and it's like that's not what I'm supposed to be doing and it's such a fascinating con it's such a fascinating con. Yeah. Right. And so then there is a, a retraining of my clients to not see me that way. So we'll call them uh, like micro teachings and little, little bits. And so like as a teacher, I was constantly looking at my life in order to bring in as like teaching moments. Like I'm constantly looking for those, those teaching moments. And so um, I like bringing those in with my clients and doing either little micro bits of teaching um, about tools that we have or experiences like and how it connects. My rule for myself is to keep it like under under a minute and a half. And in fact, I, I used to have a whiteboard behind me and I would use that, but I found that I would like teach more that way. So um, I think that like that yeah. works for maybe um, my other coaches, like it's super helpful and they write all this stuff down. But for me, it's just so tempting to turn into teacher mode if that's there, or if my iPad is there. So I intentionally don't have it for myself so that I mm-hmm. don't go into that. I found that in my, in my first six months or eight months of coaching, my whiteboard was my friend, um, <laughs> but it only comes out on occasion now. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's really interesting seeing that migration of my approach to coaching where, you know, it was always that, that those teaching moments, those micro bits, maybe they weren't really micro bits, maybe they were macro bits. Uh, and, you know, that, that gravitation that leaned back toward the, the teaching side of the equation. So it, it seems like one, one thing we're all recognizing is that like the best teachers um, have coaching dispositions, but it's not reverse. Right. So like the best coaches don't have teaching dispositions. Right. So like so that the teachers that we we admire, the teachers that we say like that we have in our head, like they bring out the genius in others. They um, create spaces for students to really step into and participate. That's those are the things we're talking about is like coaching dispositions, coaching skill sets. And, and so like they play really nicely in the education space, whereas the opposite isn't necessarily true. The teaching doesn't play as well in, at least in our version of 
um, inquiry-based coaching. That's such a good point. And as you say that, when I think about my journey from an educator to a coach, what I loved most about the educational space was the coaching aspect of it. And so when I think about transitioning Mm -hmm. from education to coaching, the transition just made sense to me because that was what I was doing in my classroom. It was so much mindset stuff and asking the questions and having the conversation. And so it was, oh, I can actually do just that. And um, and I think like for me, like benefits, like I don't have to make lesson plans. Like they're the ones who come with the preparation. And I just no grading. No, no grading. <laughs> it's glorious. Like um, not as much planning, no grading. Um, it's you know, you show up and you give a hundred percent and like, yes, there's, there's preparation and I do uh post work and send emails to clients and reflect and like do things afterwards, um, in order to serve and love my clients. Um, not just within the, the contracted, uh, coaching space, but there was, it's like, Oh, I could do just that and, uh, make a really good income, um, where I think that that's even like, uh, as educators, the income is so fixed oftentimes, mm. um, that for me, I liked to the entrepreneurial aspect mm-hmm. of, of coaching and that mm-hmm. I get to create and I get to design my own schedule. So I get to take everything that I loved about the educational space and use that here in the coaching space and like have the freedom to design. And that really appealed to me as like, this is a dream job is what this is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, one of the things too, is that as coaches, I think as we continue to grow ourselves is this idea of us being students of, mm. you know, having that, that constant so set that sense of curiosity of learning, you know, so many of the coaches, and, and this is the amazing thing that, and as, as I've gotten into this, into the, this, the whole arena of coaching is, these respected coaches that have been training me, they go to other coaches to constantly learn themselves. Yeah. And it's this ongoing, continual gotcha. learning process of saying, you know, of being curious and how can I grow and how am I getting my own way? And I mean, it doesn't matter what age we are. It's like there's that sense of continual learning. Yes. And that's, I think it's the beauty of, of our coaching culture that we have is that continual sense of learning. We don't, we haven't got it made yet. You know what I mean? In the sense of, of like, oh, I've got it down now. I'm a great coach and everything else. I don't have to learn anymore. I'm continually learning. And all the coaches in our firm, up to Jason as well, is, is he's continually learning. And that's and I love that. I, I talk about that in the teacher trainings that I would do, kind of what you were just talking about, Amanda, of like that that real impulse to like be the person on the, at the front of the stage. So we, we came up with the distinction, like be interested, not interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, cause if you're interested, if you're interested in your students, if you're interested in your client, if you're interested in learning, like if you're interested in the world, like that's attractive. It attracts you. Whereas like, if you're, if you're, what you're aiming for is being interesting, it might work sometimes <laughs> like, and, and it might do the exact opposite, you know, the other times of like, it, it's, it's not attractive and it pushes people away. Um, but like, but to Randy's point, dedicating yourself to the discipline of mastery, which is being a student forever. The best teachers, at least in my life, always demonstrated that. 
right? That was, that was their character. I want to highlight what you just said too, like the art of mastery, it's mastering learning and that being a constant pursuit. If we master learning it inherently, um, you know, moves us forward. I love that so much. So here is the the final question for for all of us. Um, I I make up that probably listening to this podcast are people who are in the educational space, whether it be uh, childhood education, elementary, secondary, uh, university, and even I talk to um, people who are in the uh, learning and development space within companies and designing curriculum within organizations and. Uh, oftentimes I find that those people have even taken coaching courses in order to serve their company. And so what did, what advice would you maybe, would, would you give to a person who is in education and contemplating moving into the coaching space? I think that whole area of really cultivating that coach's heart. I think that point that Joseph made earlier on is, you know, are do they have a coach's heart? If they, if they want to simply be the expert, be the leader, you know, tell people what to do, this, this, and this, maybe coaching might not be the ideal uh, profession for them. But I think if they have that coach's heart that really has that inquiry-based approach, then it's something absolutely worth exploring. I think that's very similar to what I would say is that if what you get excited about is for students to like hit the mark, like really like get, get the form, which again, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. Um, and if those structures are really life giving to you and like they make sense of the world and they're, they're, um, comforting in the best way, stay where you are like, no problem. That's like, great. And if what you want to go and find out is, could I adapt this to unlock more potential in humans? Could I do the unlearning and reattachment mm. and like uh, restructuring of how I am comfortable with that to find new horizons, to do the meta performance work of like, well, I know that I can get people to, to hit these marks. What else am I capable of? Who else might I be capable of serving right? in terms of adults or people that are way older than me? people in different industries. If that's an exciting prospect, then yes, I think keep going down that path. You know, Joseph just used the word meta performance. And if you're new to our show, we talk about the concept of meta performance as testing what you're capable of. Going beyond high performance is something at Novus Global, we, we believe that people hit a ceiling if high performance is aiming to be the best. So if you as a teacher are listening to what we're talking about here or, you know, thinking about being a coach and it's intriguing to see, you know, what you are capable of, that conversation is interesting. I would say consider it. Mm -hmm. I would, I would caution anyone mm -hmm. who sees coaching as like um, an alternative to teaching if you're tired or done or, um, you know, looking for mm -hmm. an escape, let's say. <laughs> I would say don't pursue coaching as sort of a non-vision that is like, great, it's not teaching, but it's something else that I can do. Um, uh, that is is probably going to head you for a world of hurt. But I would say... You know, if it's intriguing to expand your capacity, 
then then coaching is another avenue for learning. And what would your advice be, Amanda? Yeah, um, my advice would be to hire a coach. <laughs> um, so whether whether it's a Novus Global coach or like if this is interesting to you and think like, gosh, I could do that. Hire yeah, a coach and start working with a coach and like the, the meta performance idea, exploring what you are capable of. Like, oh, I wonder what um, I could create for myself. I wonder how much I do want to make. I wonder what I want my life design to be. And so a coach will will help with that and help to see what could be possible that currently might not be occurring to you as possible so that you can see like, oh, I could do this and I could do it really well and I could have the impact in the life that I want. Um, and that would probably be really good for the world um, if, if if you did, if you're considering it. So good. Of course, bring it, bring it back to coaching. What a great way to take us home. <laughs> Yes, um, always. On that note, Laura, Joseph, Randy, I want to thank you for uh, your time today and sharing of your experience. And because I know and love each of you, this this means a lot to us, creating this space and holding it for as many people as possible. And again, that being for people and that fierce advocacy is what brought us into the educational space, the growing space, the becoming space. And that is what we get to do as coaches. And so this conversation was uh, fantastic to have with you all. And it is an honor to be a colleague with you as well. So thank you so much for uh, listening, everyone, to this episode of On Coaching. Thank you for listening. For more resources like this, as well as articles and videos by all of our coaches, go to novus.global and click on resources. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. That helps us out a lot. Rate and leave a review. If you didn't like us, just leave us alone. We drop new episodes every week and we don't want you to miss out. If you want to explore hiring a Novus Global Coach or becoming an executive coach at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching, email us at begin at novus.global or click the link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. And remember, dare to go beyond high performance.